Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. Dave and Jacqueline bring you up close and personal to the innovators, contributors, and creative minds in and around technology today. Visit our website portal at www.technologyexpresso.com. There, you will find a full list of our broadcasts from all across the technology spectrum, our social media handles, and related content. So sit back with Dave and Jacqueline as they serve up Technology Expresso fast, hot, and intense. Hey, just an extra dose of that music. <laughs> we were getting into it, bobbing our heads. And tonight, uh, since it's about music and technology, you know, it's so appropriate. Absolutely. So, <laughs> this is Jacqueline Sanders Blackman along with my co-host. Dave Blackman. And we are bringing you an evening edition. And this is kind of our tech fusion because we talk bringing the arts. And the area that we're talking about tonight is all about music and how to bring music from the past and present into the future. Not, ju- not, not just music, but American music. Jazz is an American art form. Absolutely. I can't argue with you there. Absolutely. So without further, you can tell we are jazz, literally. <laughs> without further ado, I have to introduce William Wells, which you all have heard William before, but William comes to us from Kansas City. Hello, William. Hi, Jackie. Hi, David. How are you guys doing? We are doing awesome. (laughs) And, you know, it is always, we love collaborating with you and, um, you know, and also supporting all that you do for the ASTEAM Village and the young people, the robotics competition. Um, you know, you guys have bragging rights. You, you share with our audience with our, what the young people just recently did in the robotics contest. Well, um, we took uh, 50 students from Kansas City to Boston on a stagecoach. It was a 26-hour trip, and we took a kindergarten through third grade robotics team, which did exceptionally well, award winners. Uh, We took a fourth through eighth grade robotics team. They placed fifth, um, and all were first-year students. And we took a 1080 race control team that had 11 students. Um, Only two of the 11 were in high school, and they were freshmen and sophomores. The others were fifth graders, sixth graders, seventh graders, and two eighth graders. And they competed in the high school division. They placed 10th out of 29 high school teams. And they got invited to the national finals in Miami, May 20th and 21st. Wow. That's fantastic. It is. It is. So, you know, the the other teams, you can't sleep on Kansas City. There's some amazing things happening in Kansas City. And so we're so glad to be connected. And it's it, it just all in the theme of tonight's story because – uh, I, I wanted Will to talk about what he does just for a minute, but 
all of that was to transition also to someone he's introduced us to and going to introduce you to tonight, Anita Dixon, our guest for this evening. So, Will, I'll let you lay the foundation so that they know what a treat they're in for this evening. Well, <laughs> I, I I can't really give Miss Dixon and what she's accomplished and what her foundation does. I can't give it the justification needs. Um, they Miss Dixon has pulled that place um, from people trying to take it to getting it back in control. Got it fully remodeled. They're the only place where if you come to Kansas City on a Friday night and Saturday night that you can hear a jam, a jazz jam session from 12 o'clock until 5 in the morning. They don't, their party doesn't get started until 12 o'clock. Um, when you talk about Kansas City and everything revolves around 18th and Vine, jazz, Charlie Parker, and this lady that you guys are going to have as your guest tonight is the African-American history historian for this city. And I'm, I just was very pleased to meet her. My wife enjoys working with her as well. And let me just shut up and say, there's a neat picture. I just love hearing about it. That makes me sound like I'm really somebody. I like that. <laughs> you absolutely are somebody. And, and whether you know it, you know, your reach is beyond Kansas and uh, your inspiration as I prepared for the show uh, just really excited. We really have uh, a, a special opportunity to to hear it in your own words. So, without yeah. further ado, you know, let me let me have you take us back to what first got you. you just take us back to some of your background, and then what got you set. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, ah. <laughs> uh, it, I guess it had to start pretty young because I was always interested in African-American history. And uh, as I grew up, you know, I started doing a number of things. I, uh, in Kansas City, I started the first African-American tours and attractions company in 1990 and did tours of the Underground Railroad and various things and until I was recognized by the National Park Service Department of the Interior. They were trying to pass a bill that uh, preserved the sites of the Underground Railroad throughout the United States and Canada and they'd been working on it about three years. And uh, one of the guys came to a conference that I did to speak about the economics of our history, how to put together tours, how to uh, 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 revitalize urban communities and things through tourism. And uh, they hired me to train lobbyists to speak uh, economics, and we passed a bill called H.R. 1635, which uh, supports the uh, Underground Railroad as a National Park Service uh, projects and it's been very successful over the years and that was like 1995 96 and as I started moving through I was a trained journalist and a number of things and um, but in 1984 I was looking to get a, a scholarship from Lincoln University in, in um, Jefferson City Missouri and uh, needed a good story. I was going to study journalism, and I was looking to get a Fulbright scholarship. And they asked me, well, bring us back a very interesting article, some pictures, da-da-da. And I was hanging around 18th and Vine, as most kids did, and was hanging out down at the Mutual Musicians Foundation. And one of the guys says, hey, why don't you do a story about this place? 
And I was brought inside, and the guy started talking to me about what it was. It used to be Local 627 or the, quote, Uncolored Musicians Union for the United States. And I got fascinated. I did the story, and I got the scholarship. And one of the things they asked me, the gentleman, the cats used to hang out there, was never forget about the place. And I grew up quite a business, and quite a few things happened over the years. And in 2009, uh, there was a attempted takeover of the um, African this African American National Historic Landmark, and you know it was an incredible situation. I don't really want to go into right now because it was kind of racist. Well, very racist, and. Uh, a number of things were happening. There were drug dealers on the door. The place was falling apart. And, and uh, I didn't forget about the place. I kept my promise. And I went back in there and had a lot of cleaning up to do and a lot of throwing out to do and a lot of fundraising to do. <laughs> and uh, one thing led to another, and it's 2016, and we're about to celebrate our centennial celebration in American history, Local 627, we are the oldest jazz house in the world and the oldest continuously run uh, place in the world for jazz. We're actually credited with the creation of the swing era of jazz in America. So when people ask me uh, who came through these doors, I'm like, pick somebody. And if they were black and you, and you can show me that they came to Kansas City, I can show you where they came to Local 627. And that's pretty much where we are now with the history of who I am. I'm just somebody from the hood that grew up, was born four blocks down the streets in a segregated area and and believe in my heritage and believe in my history and believe in running my own institutions. So, Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Can you hear me okay, Anita? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Excellent, excellent. And, you know, I want to say that just helping the listeners understand is that it just takes one person with a passion, you know, and that's all it it, it takes, and anyone can make a difference. So, you know, even though you're being very humble, I really applaud you and, and want you to know that your story is so important for others to know if you if you see something and you want to make a difference or and you and, and things like what you're doing is keeping history and the heritage alive um that that is a, it's a beautiful thing and Thank we you. need more people like you as well as we need young people to come up behind our generation to make sure that they keep it going so you know the one of my next questions is is that it isn't always um, easy trying to be a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> no, it isn't. As a matter of fact, during the process, I had open heart surgery. Wow. In the last, what, three years? I took over in 2009, Maybe. had open heart surgery in 2011, and 30 days after the surgery, I went uh, back to my first board meeting. Amazing, amazing. Well, first of all, you know, just by the the grace, we we thankful that you made it through, that you're here with us. Because as uh, most, you know, a a lot of people believe, you know, it's clear that the messages that 
there's still work here for you to do. So we are glad that you are still here and still carrying on. Oh, I'm truly blessed. Truly blessed in that respect. Absolutely. Absolutely. So share with us some of the highs and lows and some of the highlights and, 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 and the lowlights even, because I think it's so important that people hear the message that sometimes you have to persevere through adversity, not only like you said, you had your physical, your health problems, but maybe even some other challenges that you <laughs> ran across. I, you know, and, and that is so true because we we are our own worst enemies sometimes. And I found the biggest obstacle that I had was to convince my own people that this was something, that this was so valuable that the rest of the world didn't even want us to know how valuable it was because they were so used to seeing the walls dingy and the things not happening and, you know, people peeing on the walls and things like that. They were so used to that that they didn't see the intrinsic value of self within who we were. But the culture vultures, as I tend to call them, you know, were taking our photographs and building monuments upon, you know, and then coming in and telling us how they wanted the story to present, to present the story. And me to accept. So I fought against it and it wasn't very popular. You know, you need to tone that down, Anita. You don't, you can't say those things. You know, if you want to get, you know, people's money, you can't make them feel, but, Truth is stranger than fiction every day of the week. Mm-hmm. And whenever you're referring to culture and the ability to translate that into pride and various things like that, you cannot sugarcoat the situation because you're mm-hmm. going to get more out of the truth than you're going to get out of a fabrication. So that was probably the hardest thing that happened, that to convince black folk that we were somebody in this thing called jazz, this we are jazz. Jazz is the, is, the, is the music that came out of our oppression or that, that floated across the waters with us. You know, we held that thing in us. And the music that we gathered around us, the blues, the gospel, all of those things coalesced into a brand new art form that if you look at art forms, if you look at impressionist art, ballet, you know, the symphony, all of those various things and people that came about that. How does the human spirit create something that's never been created before and it be accepted by the rest of humanity as genius except for your own? It's a very scary situation. So <laughs> re-education, okay? Miseducation, re-education, and it's been quite a journey, quite a journey. Absolutely. And, you know, as you touched upon, and, and I know I have some of my interns listening tonight, uh, I have uh, some young people listening tonight that, you know, because their ears perk up when they, they hear about music. Music is a universal language, but you're also giving some history because as something, you know, David mentioned too, that like you said, jazz is American music, not just American music, but black American music. Mm-hmm. So, Everything that came after, it really stemmed off of that and the amalgamation of all those different sounds. And like you said, in combination with the the gospel music and, and that type of thing. But you probably, you can say it much more eloquent than I can. But 
that is that is so true. Now, now I have a question, and maybe this is a question other people might have on their mind. Now, how did Kansas City get known for the their jazz and 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 you know because you named some names of people that are in the archives of the Mutual Musician. Mm-hmm. Where did that all spring forth and and come about? Well, that that that's probably the best question you could have ever asked me. There there there's considered to be four pillars of the create the entire genre of jazz, right? It started in Congo Square in New Orleans. It made its way to New Kansas City, went to Chicago and New York. So New Orleans, Kansas City, Chicago, and New York are considered to be the four pillars of the entire generation uh, genre of jazz, and that is, includes, you know, like ragtime and New Orleans style, Kansas City style swing, uh, Chicago, and New York when it got to be the bebop era. Well, you take those things in eras, right? And you take them somewhere from 1795 to the 1920s, the turn of the 20th century, and Kansas City because of what Kansas City became through a guy named Boss Tom Pendergast, at the turn of, at the, turn of the 20th century, um, the Kansas City African-American community came out of the river and went to 18th and Vine, uh, where, where we are, where it's considered to be the historic home of African-Americans now. But um, the important thing to notice is that we were a town in the 1920s that – was not poor. Okay, the Depression did not touch Kansas City. That was the reason. The reason for that was a guy named, well, a, a, a guy named our city manager by the name of Boss Tom Pendergast. And we were just as open as Vegas was. There was paramutual betting. There was drinking. There was no prohibition in Kansas City. You know, <laughs> none. Okay, we drank. There were saloons and bars and everything everywhere and this necessitated having entertainment so people were coming to Kansas City and musicians were flocking to Kansas City because there was work okay but blacks lived 3 square miles black lived almost 40 to 60,000 in 3 square miles and it was called a city within a city so when you consider that you lived right next door to your church and I say next door like you could literally put your foot out I grew up in this, so I know from whence I speak, okay? You can literally pull your friend from your house into the next house. That's how close we were. And there was thousands of houses. So your house stood next to a house that stood next to the church, that stood next to the, the store, that stood next to three clubs, that stood next to your school. You know, these things were so compacted. We were so compacted that the music that came out of the area was because of the neighborhood. If you play, if you were a musician, then you played in the church. And then you would leave the church and go to the club. And when you left the club, you went back to church or to school because you taught, you know, and various things like that. So the music that came out of the swing era was because there were so many clubs and dance halls and various things all throughout Kansas City. Okay, so we became so popular, and the swing came out of that because there was so much business. We had dance floors that that dance floors that you could put two thousand people on. Okay, and that was everywhere, everywhere in Kansas City. There'll be a two thousand person dance floor. So all of the big bands and various things like that, we needed those things. 
So the history of Kansas City's music uh, and jazz has everything to do with what happened in the neighborhood. And the center point of that neighborhood is the place that I run. The mutual was called the Mutual Musicians Foundation or Local 627, which was the Black Musicians Union at that time. If you didn't belong to the union, you did not get work. Yeah, so everybody belonged to the union. If you came to town and you were African American, you reported to Local 627, 1823 Highland. Everybody did. Cab Calloway, Count Basie, Duke Ellington, Sarah Vaughn. When B.B. King died, someone called me from one of the radio stations or something and says, "Uh, do you think B.B. King was there? I said, oh, please. Not only can I show you with B.B. King here, but he owed us $3. (laughs) 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 Because he had neglected to pay, and we had a letter in our archives that one of our guys, Richard Smith, the head of the union at that time, sent to B.B. King telling him he still owed $3 (laughs) 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 on his dues. So the history of Kansas City, the history of jazz in America, the history of jazz in the United States and in, in, in the world can be defined you know, as a soundtrack of World War One and Two. Okay, so the guys that I met, Andy Kirk and Big Joe Turner and Ben Kennard who wrote Little Red Top and you know, all these cats whose names most people don't know because they don't study that genre of music, you know, just or that era. You know, I actually knew these guys. So the history is, is some of the most incredible history in the music is the swingiest thing you ever heard when people say, well, I don't really like jazz. Well, that's because you don't <laughs> know about Kansas City jazz. Okay, you know, it's like jazz ain't that just that stuff you sit down and listen to, and you know, it's not just that. That's a that's a different style. But the swing era of jazz is fascinating music. You know, I just finished a project, and let me know if I'm going too far. But I just finished a project with um, that I call Cradle to Crave, and I went to two urban um, daycare centers and bought musicians in there for six weeks to introduce why we should still dance to jazz. I said, these children will show you why. Mm. And they started playing the music and the babies, I mean, standing up on their little feet, barely walking and stuff like that, going over beating on drums and grabbing each other's arms. It's, 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 it's inherent. It's innate. Mm. Okay, it's innate. And that's what I set out to prove. This is innate. The music that we created, Kansas City Jazz, is dancing Jazz, and we need to get back to that understanding of how that's going to work for us to preserve Amazing. it and to do that. Amazing, a- absolutely. Just to hear you, you are first of all among everything else. I'm adding a, a great storyteller. First of all, uh, because you just I felt transported back, and uh, you know I, I've started seeing scenes of Harlem Nights and that type of thing, but transported to Kansas City. So I'm getting a a, a whole new appreciation and education myself because I didn't know that, as you you know, everything you said about Kansas City and their um, entertainment community and and musicians and love the the Black Musicians Union. 
Um, and, you know, I, I think about it, and, and I often say, you know, if walls could talk, I, it, I can imagine when you walk into that building, you know, just the, the sound and laughter and uh, just good times that those walls have, you know, bared witness well, to. Well, there's nobody who works with me who can't tell you a ghost story. I've experienced it myself. <laughs> well, I've experienced it myself. I even did a couple years ago had some paranormal people come in and everything and the fascinating things that happened. But, you know, when you've been in a building and you've been a part of a, of a spiritual movement for a hundred years, you know, I don't know how other people think or how other people believe, but this is how I believe. And uh, when I took over the place, I put my key in the door for the first time, did not knowing what I was going to do. And I heard something go, hey, now. And I looked around and I thought, okay, right. And I heard music coming from upstairs. And I thought somebody must be in here practicing. I don't know. Open the door. Total silence. Wow. I thought, okay. Now, this happens so often that we ask people to give us their, their stories, you know, when they've experienced something or something's happened and, you know, what, like, what, people, what most people refer to as the mist. And we have an ongoing um, jam session. You know, that doesn't actually start until 1 in the morning, you know, 12 o'clock jump. They even wrote a song about a years ago that Count Basie did called 12 o'clock jump. I mean, 1 o'clock jump. And that was all about going to the foundation when the clubs closed, and everybody followed them down to 1823 Highland. But the musicians get on stage, and sometimes the jam will be going so well that the only thing that you can see in the middle of the room is the middle of the room you know, the lights on the stage, and it looks like it's a mist is falling over everything. And everybody will have their eyes closed. The audience will be totally quiet. Or the audience is trying to dance or something like that, and it's really mystifying to watch until some drunk person runs up the stairs and yells or something. And breaks <laughs> it. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And um, it's it's it's... <laughs> I've got a number of people who can tell you stories, a number, you know, floating wow. orbs and various things like wow. that. You know, it's very – people with pictures who send me orb pictures of, you know, of orbs in themselves in the foundation at the middle of the night, that kind of thing. It's really cool. Well, uh, well, David, David, you know I have to jump in on this because I could just change this whole – format of the show tonight <laughs> over and we can talk ghost stories all night long. That is oh, besides please. you think I'm passionate about Tech Expresso. I I like me some ghost stories, but I will leave that alone tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but but truly, truly fascinating. But I I'll, I'll also, you know, throw it over to David because David, you know, one of the things that resonated that she also spoke about was her her project Cradle to Crave. I believe uh, you, that you spoke of that the uh, the babies and how innate the music, you know, got into them. And, David, you, I always like when you talk about how you kind of were born into uh, music yourself. So uh, I'll, I'll give you oh, an opportunity. Please, please I, I can't even hold a candle to some of the stories that Anita just shared with us. Although, you know, my story was that my mother went into labor with me while at a jazz concert. And <laughs> and Jacqueline will tell you, I'm always bebopping around the house. I, I picked up the uh, guitar uh, a couple of years ago that I uh, was trying to uh, introduce my daughter to, but I picked it up, and now I have two. So uh, that's always... Um, 
fun for me uh, playing that guitar and, and, and still constantly learning. But still, uh, the stories you shared, I can't hand, hold a candle to any of those st- stories. So um, I'm in total awe here, and I really appreciate you sharing um, everything that Kansas City uh, jazz music is about through your stories. I really appreciate that. Oh, no problem. I, I enjoy it more than people realize. <laughs> oh, you know, one of the things now I'm, I'm going to also have you fill us in. You know, we we talked about the history, we talked about ghosts. Now let's let's throw out a little bit of controversy too. Now I know that there were some challenges at one time because your ses- the jam session started after midnight and the whole liquor license type of thing, and mm-hmm. so um, uh, you know, once again, people had to go to bed to kind of preserve that special essence of the, the, the jam sessions. So maybe you can share with our audience a little bit about that. Well, we have what's probably the only dawn to dusk liquor license that I know of. Um, in 2007, now check it out. We've been doing and selling liquor as part of the um, Mutual Musicians Foundation experience since the 1930s, you know. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like a sacred cow. Nobody ever bothered us. And then in 2006 or so, someone came in and said, oh, you can't serve liquor without a license. And they tried to shut us down. Well, we went to the state of Missouri and said, this is a National Historic Landmark. And according to the rules of tourism, because I'm so, you know, I was well-versed in tourism, you know, in order to make something happen for a community or an organization, whatever happened within those balls or within those, you know, information needs to continue. We served liquor. So we have what is a dawn to dust liquor license, 365 days a year, 24-7. And that is literally a law on the books of Missouri for regulated industries that says, if you are a National Historic Landmark located at 1823 Highland, you can serve liquor from these times to these times. Now, you know, as part of the whole thing, you know, it costs us quite a bit of money a year to maintain, but... Uh, something like $3,700 a year to maintain, but we are the only people who can do it. You wow, know? that's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, uh, in terms of history, um, I was reading that Kansas City was known for their free flow of alcohol, and it was used as a wide-open town <laughs> in, in, uh, in in terms of the alcohol in spite of uh, prohibition and that uh, – one of the political bosses then, Tom uh, Pendergast, uh, got mm-hmm. anything he wanted during that era. So um, it's, it's great that um, that license or grandfathered license was able to uh, persist and uh, in, in spite of the opposition in the uh, past 10 years or so. Right, 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 right. But, you know, the other thing, the flip side of the controversy on that is that it's my only revenue stream. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> I'd like to explore that because that that was I wanted to to have you speak to um, how you know the 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 financing the fundraising how can people help because I I you know from hearing you speak and and it's so clear to me even more clear than ever you know this is about preserving history a legacy uh, a musical genre about educating young people. And uniting people um, uh, through music and through musical history. 
So people need to know how they can help, and and how are you getting your help right now? Well, right about now we keep a very, very tight rein on our finances. We're only open on Friday and Saturday night. But within those hours, um, we we do quite well. But it's just enough to keep the building open, the the you know the various things happening that people pay. So we're very very tight. But um, about three years ago, I was able to get us a 501c3. So we're able to go out and do uh, fundraising and get money now. Um, with the advent of a, a lot of people who are beginning to recognize that the foundation is what it is. You know, now understand, you know, I, I don't want to vilify a lot of people because there wasn't a lot of accountability at one time, okay? Mm-hmm. There was nothing but cash coming through the door and, you know, and people who were not accountable for that money. So, you know, it's taken me six years to build this place into a business, you know, a museum, a living museum type thing that's accountable. We have accountants, we have lawyers, we've got, you know, <laughs> You know, uh, uh, reporting, we've got tax clearances, we've got all of those things now. So now we're finally in position to be able to go out and say, here is your National Historic Landmark. It is very valuable. Uh, Do like you do the other arts organizations in the community. Because no matter who you are in Kansas City, no matter what Kansas City thinks it is, Kansas City derives its total and complete identification from 1823 Highland, internationally and nationally. And for some reason, the controversy is, how can black folk do that? Right. <laughs> That's the controversy. Right. The, you know, because there's, you know, and, 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 and not trying to be funny, I've got people from all races that help what we do. But mm. it's always under the context of what we want, not what they want or what they think is a marketing plan or what they think is good because I get that all the time. You know, well, Anita, if we just include more, I said, I don't need to include anything more. We went to the local um, uh, universities and had to fight to get our images back, our photographs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple mm-hmm. of the universities in town said, oh, there are photographs, there are photographs. We've had them since 78. And I literally got lawyers and said, if you can show me where. One board member from the past gifted you these these photographs, then I will back up. If you do not do that, they still belong to us, and they Absolutely. could not prove that. So now uh, a number, a couple of universities in town and a couple of museums, they had to give me back my photographs, and it was over 7,000 images. Mm. Some of them wow. historic wouldn't, haven't been seen in years. So where do these where do these photographs? Well, actually, they're at uh, uh, one set at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Another one is at the uh, Kansas City Museum, and another set is at the Union Station, Sioux City. But they're all identified as Mutual Musicians Foundation collections, and cannot be used without permission from the board of the Mutual Musicians Foundation. Amazing! Amazing! You know, I, I'm you know I'm even more excited because I know uh, Will has been uh, talking about how the uh, NSBE, the National Society of Black Engineers, uh, national conference is going to be in Kansas City, and and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think it's 2017, and I'm even more excited because that means even more 
people that can come to the museum and see all that 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 you've built up. So, um, and I'm going to be one of those. Count me in. All uh, right. To take a tour. Um, but for those who are in the Kansas City area, um, tell us a little bit. How, how much does it cost to take a tour? Um, is there uh, certain days and times? Um, I know you said that you guys are open on Friday and Saturday. Are the jam sessions open to the public? Yeah, jam sessions are open to the public. They are. It costs $10 to get in, and uh, they, we don't start until 1 o'clock in the morning, We and we end at 5, or until the spirit what? kicks in, whatever. <laughs> I hear you. Because <laughs> sometimes we go a little bit longer than that. It depends. And um, I, I arrange uh like school tours and things like that, uh, through just appointment. You know, you hit the website and uh, and uh, make an appointment, and we do school tours and history tours. We have a documentary that we produce called Still Jamming that uh, we show during those times, and you know, and let people know the history of what just what we've done. Absolutely, absolutely. And I believe I came across a YouTube video. Uh, as well, and um, uh, so I will also be sharing that with uh, our listeners and uh, to those who are um, listening to tonight's episode of Technology Express. So, and just so those of you joined late, we're speaking with uh, Anita Dixon of Kansas City, and we're talking about the Mutual Musicians Society uh, and the and, and now, you know, we've been talking about the history of jazz in Kansas City. And if you're just joining in, you're, you're going to have to rewind and catch up because you missed you miss some good stuff. Because <laughs> next I'm going to kind of transition the conversation to the future, the future of, of making sure that this continues to, to be preserved, but at the same time, um, outreach to get more people um, an awareness of this, Kansas City, the jazz, and the whole jam sessions. And that all kind of stems into the radio station and the idea mm. of building a radio station. So talk to us about what the current state of the radio station is and um, how soon we might be able to actually be able to, to connect and maybe do a simultaneous podcast. Well, you know, that, <laughs> that, that's, that's been, that story alone is, is worth another show <laughs> about getting this uh, construction license for this radio station. Um, there hasn't been a radio presence, as we know, traditional radio presence, in the 18th Divine era, area in 78 years. Wow. When we received this construction license for this station, I thought there was going to be an outpouring of love and, yay, look what the foundation did, and... Literally, it pissed a lot of people off, and I never, I can't, still to this day, I'm kind of puzzled. But then it began, I began to realize that the, 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 the impact of a traditional radio station, you know, an FCC sanctioned, da, 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 is, is, is something that is old technology, new technology that never went away, you know? When we became in our heyday, in our heyday, we were down in the in, in in that area. Radio was huge. You know, in the '60s, radio was huge. In the '70s, radio was huge. 
80s, 90s, it, not, it didn't stop being what it was. So to be able to possess the only vehicle now that is a community radio station, yes, but the ability to have a voice on an airwaves that's old and then couple it with the new is some of the most important things I've ever done in my entire existence. Because now I realize how respected that technology was almost 100 years ago and how enhancing it's going to be to couple it with the technology of today and offer it as a program to my community, you know, and have it there for my kids, for my area, for my and anybody who wants to consume it, but to have it there so they can look and see that the technology of old, the technology of new is everything that they can possess on their own because they saw somebody do it. Yes, yes. And the, and the young people, and the young people, I believe, will be able to make the connections with looking at one, the history and the old technology, which is radio, which is still here. And it's mm-hmm. not, it, it hasn't gone away, as you said. It is still here and vibrant, and it will be for decades and millenniums to come. But Absolutely. they will also see the bridge into technology and the future as well, um, and, and, and they'll be able to make that connection. And it will open their eyes a little bit and, and, and make uh, technology more relatable, I think. I think so because, you know, there's always the opportunity. You know, when you look at life the way we look at life and we see all this immense technology in front of us, think if it were not there, the radio waves would be. And always you have to always dig back in your past. You have to always go back there and find those roots of survival. And if everything went away today or tomorrow and every cable company and every everything decided they were just going to disconnect. We would have a way to connect with the radio waves near. Tesla proved that. Mm. You know, all those various people out there proved that. So, we're never lost. You know, in communication, the drums are never gone. One of the greatest stories in in jazz history is is Congo Square in New Orleans. And they began to realize that these newly enslaved people, because I don't call a slave, I always say, I refer to that situation as enslavement, okay, depicts something totally different. And the enslaved people, they took their drums away because they communicated with them. There was still that much happening, you know, coming from us. But they would allow us on Sundays to go to a certain part of the square in New Orleans and play those drums and dance and do what we did as a people. And I like to refer to that, thinking about what we're doing now, is that ability to reconnect to that that communication that the drums afforded us. And that is our rhythm, our style, who we are. Who we are out Mm -hmm. here in this thing called jazz. It's amazing. You know, because for me, jazz is, uh, is, is black American music as is blues, as is rock and roll, as is, you know, uh, hip-hop, as is all these various things that we found necessary to do every time they took something. 
okay, <laughs> every time they took something. When I was first introduced to hip-hop, I realized it's because they took music out of the schools. You know, and every time you see an absence of something, the black man recreates something that has not been created before in the arts, always. And I'm I'm almost 60 years old, so I've watched this progression now. And I've watched the music change and develop and change and develop every time something was taken. And I look back on Congo Square and think back 400 years to Congo Square, and the first thing that they took in our communication was our drums. But that's what tap dancing became. And that's what all these things that we're credited for doing came out of necessity communication Mm. okay we had to do it we had to find a way to communicate with each other absolutely i i can come i i totally that that so resonates and and as you said communicating with each other and it's also just expressing our soul too absolutely inner spirit that you can't take away from a person, and you know, and then you find out that there's a, a language, a common language, that from those feelings and those emotions. So, uh, absolutely, absolutely, and, and and you know, some of the things that you are saying, you know, just are you know, give me chills because one of the things I, I even look at you, you're in Kansas City. Technology is connecting us for us to have this conversation. That's then connecting those who are listening. Um, and, and can also uh, relate to what's being said. And, you know, I have a group of interns that um, are here in Atlanta that um, are so excited when I told them about the possibility and the, the uh, inevitability that somehow, some way we will collaborate and work with and, and support so that they can see from FM all the way to the online podcast and radio um, through iTunes that we can carry and keep this over 100-year-old tradition, um, keep it going. So it's, you know, I'm looking forward to how we will leverage the young people um, and their ongoing curiosity with both the combination of music and technology and get them and, and even, you know, use some of their ideas even to, oh, to continue absolutely. to And that's what's so neat about having met William because, I'm, you know, I'm one of them old folk that used to have a phone in the wall, you know, and a 20-foot <laughs> cord, <laughs> you know. It's taken me a while to get – I'll never forget chastising my grandson – for not reading some books that I sent him, and I'm telling him, you have to expose yourself to things, you have to do this. And he said, this from a lady who does not text. Wow. And I (laughs) I had to back up. I had to back up. I mean, what do you say? You know, you're trying to tell me to be innovative, but you don't text, Grandma. And I thought, okay, well, all right, you got me. Show me how to do it. You know, because... These the, the, the connection between these kids and seeing these kids do these incredible things, you know. Um, William, yeah, how do you say that? How brave that is, because they yeah. always want to condescend to our children's abilities. 
oh, look mm. at the little black kids. Look what they, you know, they made something out of peanut butter. You know, that's neat. You know, <laughs> and and these are the things that when you see someone and the ability for them to speak and to get out here and use their minds, and, you know, this one guy, this one guy is pushing that situation, then, you know, as a person who's left, you know, who's led as a one-person show, you know, I, I'm, I, I defer to what he I wouldn't have a donate button on my website if it were not for him and his wife. I'm missing opportunities everywhere because I am a one-man show. There are only a few people who I can get to do things. But to get bought up to speed, to, to, to know that the future of what I'm getting ready to do is going to be in the hands of these children who will not only appreciate it but can maintain it, oh, that's the ultimate dream. Absolutely. That's the ultimate and, dream. And, and, I can retire and watch them do this. I, I think it's just really cool. Well, <laughs> and, and I have to, I have to warn you, Anita, is when William made the connection in the introduction, uh, which led to this this interview tonight. Um, Technology Expresso is not good at keeping secrets, so <laughs> every chance we get, we are going to be letting people know about Kansas City's jazz uh, history and what you're doing, what you're trying to accomplish. So you, you don't have to feel like you're doing this alone. Uh, we are here. We're here to support you. And I know that there's others as well as us that have been touched by this conversation. And we will continue to. And this is the beauty of technology, once again, is the whole world can tap into things like the podcast tonight. Anyone, you know, jazz is international, not just, you know, it may have have be American music, but people internationally appreciate jazz. And and I have to give due credit to my husband. He has educated and brought me along. I wasn't, you know, you know, I didn't go into, my mom didn't go into labor at a jazz concert. So I don't have those type of credentials. However, I am his student in this area. And uh, we, we've been to many of jazz concerts. And, and now, you know, listening tonight, so I further appreciate that, that history and its impact um, on our heritage here in America, the blacks in America. You know, I know that we're going to quickly run out of time, but I want to let you know and let our audience know we definitely will have you back on the show. We definitely want to follow the progress and hear about the the radio show and and whenever the opportunity is, if we somehow can work with Will to do a simulcast um, through the uh, online radio airwaves uh, so some people can get some snippets uh, of some of those jam sessions, would love to do that sooner versus later. So we're really open to that and going to continue that conversation afterwards. But just again, you know, with the the few minutes that we have remaining, is there any messages that you have for young, old, just just words of inspiration, things that that you've learned and that that you want to make sure that the the audience hears? Yeah, absolutely. I have a saying when it comes to what I need to do for my heritage and my history and the culture that I and it's called compromise makes a good umbrella but a poor roof. If you are constantly compromising your position as to the things that you want in life 
as to where you want to go, what you want to be, and someone tells you, well, don't dream that high, compromise. Don't do, compromise, always remember that. Compromise makes a good umbrella but a poor roof. You eventually have to get exactly what you want out of life in order to be happy. So don't compromise anything, and you will always get, and you will always get what you want. Absolutely. Wow. Powerful, powerful. Man. David, is there anything that, that you want to uh, uh, say? Well, uh, one, I'd like to thank William for bringing uh, Miss Anita Dixon thank to you, our presence. <laughs> and um, we look forward to, uh, as Jacqueline said, future collaborations with him as he um, is a vehicle himself for bringing young um, uh, young children, uh, women, boys, girls into technology and expanding expanding their exposure to the possibilities of uh, what they could be. It's all about exposure, and and William through a Steam Village is providing that exposure so they could dream about the future. Yes, he is. Thank you, William. <laughs> William, are you still with it? Oh, I want to keep us off. William, are you still there? No, oh, he left. Oh, he left us. But nonetheless, on his behalf, just many, many kudos to, to William. Uh, continue to do what you do. Anita, we look forward to our future conversations. Um, and, you know, you just uh, we, I look forward to the day we meet in person. I look forward to the day when I am at one of those jam sessions. Tonight you transported me mentally there, but um, I look forward to physically being there and meeting you in the very near future. To our audience, hey, I think more people need to plan some vacations to Kansas City. Um, oh, absolutely. Kansas City, here I come. <laughs> Barbecue. <laughs> All night, yes, I got it all. <laughs> well, well, we look forward to Without further ado, I just want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. Um, and continue to stay tuned as Technology Expresso brings you more topics, more more on the whole art tech fusion topic. This is a, a, a very powerful topic, and our young people um, are really engaged. I want to thank our very own Jovan Grant who uh, has suggested the whole uh, art fusion concept. And um, and I just want to thank all of our supporting uh, interns as well. I, I want to give a shout-out to Anisha Mohammed, who will be graduating from high school uh, here very soon. I believe that's May 21st. So I want to give her a shout-out as well. So And I also want to welcome aboard some new interns that will be joining the Tech Expresso team. So we're growing, we're expanding. Thanks, everyone, for all of your support. Please spread the word. Let others know about Tech Expresso. Now, let me leave you with a word from one of our great sponsors. Um, you hear us often talk about them. Please support Anita. Please support Technology Expresso. Please support our sponsors. We're doing good work getting the word out there about Thank you. BDPA is an international organization with a diverse membership of professionals and students at all levels 
in the fields of information technology, computer science, and related STEM fields. Members are actively engaged in serving the community through outreach and charting the future of the IT industry. The BDPA's model is advancing careers from the classroom to the boardroom. For the last 38 consecutive years, BDPA has held national conferences. This year's event will be held August 10th through the 13th at the West End Hotel in Atlanta, Georgia. Registration is now open. Visit bdpa.org to find out more about local chapters. BDPA has over 46 chapters across the United States and is always looking to launch new chapters. BDPA also has student information, technology education, and scholarship programs, and even a national high school computer competition program. Students have the opportunity to learn and explore potential careers in technology, as well as learning leadership skills to work well with the team. Students that participate in the computer competition can win college scholarships from major corporations looking for young talent. BDPA's National Conference also includes a career fair for job seekers. So mark those dates, August 10th through the 13th, at the Westin Hotel in Atlanta, Georgia. Register early and pass it on. The technology industry will continue to have jobs and business opportunities. Technology skills and aptitude will be a must for all. Industries and tech-related skills will allow job seekers to demand higher salaries. If you are a minority serious about a career in IT and you are not a member of BDPA, you are not really serious about your future. So log on now to bdpa.org to get started. You have been listening to Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. For a full list of our podcasts, social media handles, and upcoming shows, visit our web portal at www.technologyexpresso.com. Join our text club and get monthly alerts of upcoming events and initiatives. Text the phrase full steam ahead to 41411. Financial support and donations of any denominations are welcome. Your contributions help us sustain and reach undeserved communities who benefit from the many programs, role models, and technologists that we showcase. Thanks to our sponsors, partners, and thank you, our listeners. And remember, we encourage you to listen, learn, Leverage. Launch.